morning. I hope you have your Bibles. I'd love for you to join me in Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to uh, move away from 1 Corinthians. We're in a uh, very uh, uh, specific section of 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I'm preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. But because this week is so important to the, to the life of our church, uh, I'm going to be dealing this week with a wild game dinner and some, a real practical message the Lord has given to me that I wanted to share with you uh, today. This is our 13th annual Wild Game Dinner, and uh, we're just excited what the Lord has been doing through our Wild Game Dinner and the opportunity once again to have another uh, Wild Game Dinner. While you're finding your place in Matthew chapter number 28, did you hear the story about the pastor that was on his deathbed? There's a pastor on his deathbed, and as he was dying, he picked up the phone, he called two of his church members, a lawyer and an IRS agent. And uh, they came to his house, and as they approached his doorway there where he was laying in his bed dying, he opened his eyes and he motioned for them both to come in. And as they came in, he said, I want one to sit right here on this side of the bed, and I want the other to sit right here on this side of the bed. And they obliged, and they were so moved that their pastor had invited them to come be with him at these final moments of his life. The lawyer was so overwhelmed that he turned and he asked the pastor, Pastor, why us? To which the pastor laying there opened his eyes and cut his eyes over at the IRS, IRS agent. And he said, well, our Lord Jesus died between two sinners and I want to go out that way too. <laughs> All right, so my lawyers and IRS uh, friends, that's just a joke. I don't, I don't mean, my sister's a lawyer, okay, says that was just a joke. Don't, don't send me no ugly letter. Uh, at any rate, Matthew chapter number 28, beginning in verse number 19. Beginning in verse number 19. As a matter of fact, just for context's sake, let's jump up to verse 16. Verse 16 will give us the context here. Notice what the Bible says. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. The Scripture tells us, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. Remember, Judas uh, is dead. They went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Isn't that sad? My stars. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. You may be seated this morning for prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is a light and a lamp. I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd speak truth into our hearts this morning. I pray that we'd leave this place different than when we came in. I pray that you would encourage, Father, the saints of God. I pray you would challenge each one of us with your word. And Lord Jesus, I pray that if there be one here today that does not know the free pardon of sin, that today would be the day uh, that they see the truth in your scriptures, be convicted by the power of the Holy Ghost, and they'd come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for being with us today. We worship you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Speak to our hearts now, I pray, and I pray that we would be obedient, Lord Jesus, to what your word says. We love you, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Is there anybody in here that loves Jesus? Is there anybody in here that's uh, sleepy? You might be sleepy because of the rain. Nobody's going to say amen right there, I know that. But I just want to make sure that you're awake. Turn to that person beside you and say, I'm glad. I don't look like David. He's got a lot on his plate this week. He's got a lot going on. And uh, I'm so grateful for David. I'm thankful Lord, for the Lord Jesus uh, giving us David Sharpton and all that he's uh, done to make our wild game dinner a success. Uh, anything with two heads is a monster. Now, this is, listen, this ain't profound, but it's a truth. Anything with two heads is a monster. Anything with no head is dead. So you've got to have a head in order to have life. As your pastor... I praise God for being that head. But I'm going to tell you what, when it comes to the wild game dinner, there's the man. He's the man. Uh, he, he's got it. I mean, I've got responsibilities that I've got to take care of and people that I'm taking care of and things that I'm doing. But somebody's got to worry about the place. Somebody's got to worry about the freezer and the food and all this other stuff. And there's your man right there. David, I want to just tell you how much I love you and how grateful I am for what you do with the Wild Game Dinner. If you appreciate David's service in the Wild Game Dinner, you just give him an appreciation clap. Amen. One of the reasons why David does what he, what he does, David has a spiritual gift of evangelism. Everybody knows that. He's an evangelist. That's, God's given him that. And man, that's so vitally important in the life of a church. Uh, God's given me the spiritual gift of being your pastor, and I'm grateful to be your pastor. And while there's evangelism inside of me, in every message, even this one that I'm going to preach to you, uh, will be evangelistic in its very nature. Uh, evangelism... Uh, is so vitally important and is a lifestyle that I live, but I also have to preach the whole counsel of God. And so in doing so, I not only want to see you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but I want to see you grow up and I want to see you function properly in reproduction, that is, reproduce yourself through the avenue of evangelism. And David does as well. But in thinking about that, Tom Rainer uh, did a survey, and did you know that a Southern Baptist we are only winning half the people to Jesus than we did 50 years ago. And we measure that by baptism. Our baptisms are decreasing by alarming rates. We're at one time, we were baptizing three or 400 people a year. We're now only baptizing less than 100. I praise God for Maysville Baptist Church. Last year you baptized over 100. The year before that you baptized over 100. The year before that we baptized over 100. I'm thankful that, the, that Maysville Baptist Church is baptizing over 100, but I'm going to be honest with you. That ought not to be a reason why we continue to evangelism. The reason why we continue in evangelism is not that we might bust 100 in baptisms, or 200, or 300, or 400, for that matter, but that we would just see one more come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Tom Rainer, in doing a survey, he conducted a Twitter poll survey, which he got an incredible response. The response was so incredible that he listed 15 reasons. There were 15 reasons that people gave on this Twitter uh, poll as to why churches are not as evangelistic as they once were. I'm not going to give you all 15, but I would like to give you the top five. Number five, the fifth uh, uh, most important reason why people aren't as, or churches aren't as evangelistic as they are were 50 years ago is that our churches have ineffective evangelistic strategies. 
And that strategy is, you come rather than we go. Dear friend, that is so true today. Well, we're living in a day where people want to just say, well, you just come on to church instead of us going out and sharing the gospel. Now, I really believe that this church is an exception to that, to that theory. Uh, I believe that Maysville Baptist Church is one, and I know this for a fact. They go week in and week out every single week, except for specific times, if you would, on holidays and whatnot. We're out every week sharing our faith at our Monday night faith visitation. I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful that we go. As a matter of fact, Thursday we're going. We're going as a church. We're leaving our place of worship here, and the church is moving to the Commerce Civic Center. The church will be at the Commerce Civic Center. You do understand that this building is not the church. That refuge is not the church. We collectively, as the body of Christ, we are the church. And I'm excited that the church is getting together as one on Thursday night. We'll be functioning in the arena of unity. Now, one of the things that's fascinating here about Maysville Baptist Church is we're in three worships right now. We're doing everything in our power to get to one worship. We uh, were able to add some seats this week. And I appreciate you uh, helping and knowing that this is a, a temporary thing. Uh, the goal is to uh, finish out the gym where we can get in there and worship on one time and, and get the church together collectively in one worship service as we praise God and sing praises to His name. And then Figure out what we want to do here on this campus. We'll put a team together and uh, we'll do a survey and we'll see just exactly what we want to do here. But the theme of Maysville Baptist Church is to love God, love others, and serve the world. What we're trying to accomplish is build the kingdom of God. And as we love God, love others, and serve the world, the, one of the ways that we do that is through our wild game dinner. So the church in unity collectively leaves its place and we go to where the people are. Thank God He gave us the Commerce Civic Center this year. So why didn't He give us someplace bigger? No, that's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, God, what would you have us do with what you gave us? And I'll tell you what, we've got to be more intentional. If we want to see lost people saved Thursday night, we've got to get lost people there. We go. Number four. Here's the fourth uh, response. That was given to Tom Rainer's question. Why do churches, why are churches not as evangelistic as they once were? Number four. Well, we are more known for what we're against than what we're for. As born again children of God, I'm telling you what, the world can tell us what we're against. Man, we're against everything. But can they tell, can they, uh, do they know what we're for? We're for the kingdom of God. We're for Jesus. We're for lost people getting saved. We're for people getting right with God and putting families back together. It ain't all about what we get. It's about what we're for. And we're for Jesus Christ. Number three, watch this. The third reason. Many Christians and church members are lazy and apathetic. Now this is coming, from, this is coming not just from pastors, but from anybody who will answer the question. Tom Rainer put it out there to everybody. And the top answer, number three, that fell in the third category is that many Christians and many church members are lazy and apathetic. Now, I know that's not everybody. I understand that there are many that work on Monday night and some go out other than Monday night. But I'm telling you, here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Not the fact so much did you come to faith on Monday night, but who did you share Jesus Christ with last week? Who did you share a track with last week? Who did you speak a good word to last week? 
there's a little habit that we've gotten into around here that uh, when we're going through a drive-thru, we'll uh, roll the window down and we'll come up to that lady and the lady said, well, that'll be, uh, you know, seven bucks and uh, we'll pay for the meal. Before we leave, we'll just say something like this. Ma'am, has anybody ever taken the time today to stop and just tell you that Jesus loves you? Man, you'd be surprised at the number of times that little lady or that sir that's there will say, well, nobody, you're the, you're the first one that, that, that said that. And I've been here uh, since uh, all day. Oh, dear friend, listen. If we're going to see lost people saved, we've got to be conscientious that lost people are everywhere. And we can't let laziness or apathy affect that. We've got to be intentional in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two. I'm getting to the message, I promise. And we're just, I'm still in the introduction. Here's number two. Many Christians and church members do not befriend and spend time with lost people. Many Christians and church members do not befriend and spend time with lost people. Who are you spending time with right now that's lost? How do you expect to ever win a lost person to Jesus if you don't befriend them? And so, well, they're lost. I don't want to befriend them. Shame on you. Thank God when you were lost, somebody befriended you. Thank God when you were lost, somebody took time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. Uh, there's an individual right now that's in my mind that I'm sharing the gospel with every single day. Every day, I see this individual. Every day, I talk to this individual. Every day, I try my best to let him know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come to the Father but by him. Only Jesus. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Number one. Here's the number one response to why Churches aren't evangel as evangelistic as they were. What, listen to this. Christians have no sense of urgency to reach lost people. Uh, several months ago, I talked about uh, uh, the magical group Penn and Teller. Penn in that magic group is a proclaimed atheist. And Penn said with his own lips, the reason why he's an atheist is because nobody, nobody has taken the time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And he, he, this is the conclusion he drew. He drew this conclusion. He said, if Christians really have the answer to escaping hell and getting into heaven, where's their urgency? There's no urgency. Uh, let's face it, we're, we're, not, we're not breaking the doors down when we leave this place to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. I have yet, in, in the years that I've been here, had to fix the doors because we got so excited about winning somebody to Jesus, we broke the hinges off the doors. There's no urgency. And so in order for us to see more lost people come to know Jesus Christ, we have to have an urgency like we've never had before. How can we have such an urgency? How can we, how can we embrace the urgency of lost people dying and going to hell? Uh, this week as I was praying, I was, I was asking the Lord to give me a word that I could share with you. Uh, just a word that might encourage you. A word that might challenge you. A word that might be used, if you would, to help us move from a, a place where we may be a little bit complacent or a little bit comfortable into a place where we might get out of our comfort zone just for a little while that we might share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. What is that word, God? Please, would you give me a word? Well, I asked that on Monday and I didn't get a word. I asked it on Tuesday. I didn't get a word. I asked it on Wednesday. Still no word. 
I reminded the Lord that I have to have my sermon outline turned in by 12 o'clock on Thursday uh, afternoon in order to get it on the screen for you. And uh, I said, Lord, I, I just, I got to have it. The word didn't come on Thursday. I prayed on Friday, God, give me a word. And the word did not come on Friday. It was not till Saturday morning when I said, God, I need a word. And he finally said, okay, son, you're desperate enough. Now I'm going to give it to you. I want to tell you, this is hot off the presses. The word that God gave me to give to you today is the word when. W-I-N. This morning, I want to spend what little time I have left. And I want to give you what I have entitled the when principle. The when principle. The when principle is simply taking the word win, W-I-N, and making an acrostic with it to challenge just us at Maysville Baptist Church, to challenge our church in relationship to the wild game dinner, how we might see one more come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So without any further ado, let's look at this word win, and let's think about what the Lord has given us today as a church, as a church body, that we might see one more come to a saving knowledge of Christ. First of all, you can't spell win without the letter W. The letter W stands for welcome with hospitality. Welcome with hospitality. Whether we're at the wild game dinner or whether we leave this place and we just go over to the Mexican restaurant or any other restaurants there in Banks Crossing or in Commerce or Jefferson, wherever we may end up, we as born-again children of God, if we're going to win people to Jesus Christ, we have to welcome them with hospitality. 1 Peter chapter uh, number 4, verses 8 and 9, listen to what Peter said as he wrote to those churches abroad. He said, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Peter is communicating in this chapter that as born-again children of God, we have full control of our minds and we should be watching and praying for an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, having full control of our minds, God has full control of our hearts. Verse number 7 of, of, of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 tells us there are two primary things we are to do. Number one, we are to have fervent love among yourselves. We're to love each other. Turn that person beside you and say, I love you, man. That might have been a girl, so turn that person on the other side and say, no, I love you, man. <clears throat> We're to love each other. And not just love each other, he says, but have a fervent love for one another. That word fervent there is where we get uh, our English illustration of stretched out. A stretched out love. We're to have a stretched out love for one another, being patient with each other, having an intent to exercise, in this case, the love of Jesus Christ towards one another. Because you can't love others if you don't really love your brother and sister in Jesus Christ. This is why he says here, love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, let me, let me just put a practicality if I could here. Let's make this real practical. Let's go to Thursday. Let's say we're at Thursday, we're at the Commerce Civic Center and we're going to welcome with hospitality, the first thing we're going to do is have a fervent love for one another, which means that we are going to be 
patient with each other. We're going to be patient with each other. We're going to love one another with a patience that's inside of us knowing the reason why we're there. Why are we there? Why are we at the Commerce Civic Center to have the wild game dinner? Are we there just to eat the pheasants we shot and killed when we went pheasant hunting? No. Are we there to eat the gator bites? No. Are we there to have the buffalo chili? No. Why are we there? To see lost people saved. Will you help me, church? Why do we have a wild game dinner? When I say that, I want you to tell me to see lost people saved. Are you ready? Why do we have a wild game dinner? We have a wild game dinner to see lost people saved. Man, do you remember the day you got saved? Man, I'm telling you what, it was a day that changed my life forever. Man, I was lost, and then I got found. I was blind, but now I see. Thank God for salvation when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Why do we have a wild game dinner? That's right, to see lost people saved. If we're going to see lost people saved, we're going to love each other. Number two, watch this. The second thing he says, if you're going to welcome with hospitality, no, you, first of all, you love each other, and then, watch this, you use hospitality one to another without grudging. It's right there in the text, right there. It's what the Bible says. Notice what the Scripture says. Use hospitality one to another without grudging grudging. Uh, this not only includes how we treat each other, but it also means how we treat our guest. In particular, our guest at, at the wild game dinner. The Bible says we are to exercise hospitality. It's a very fascinating Greek word. It means to be generous to guests. To be generous to guests. On Thursday, as we're all there and we're all gathered together and we're getting excited about the wild game dinner, people are going to be coming in. Man, it's going to be crowded. It's going to be, man, it's going to be crazy. I cannot wait. Man, don't forget this, dear friend. Listen to me, brothers and sisters in Jesus. Be hospitable. Be generous to our guest. So how, how preacher, how can we be generous to our guest? Is, can you give me something that, that I can use that, that I might be able to be generous to, the, to our guests? Can I give you just three practical things in the form of generosity? If you're going to be generous to our guest, the first thing uh, that I'm going to ask you to do is to smile. Smile. The first thing you must do if you're going to be generous to anybody is you're going to smile at them. Uh, I'm telling you what, a smile can do more for an individual that's hurt. Did you, do you realize this? There's going to be people at our wild game dinner that are contemplating suicide. And did you know it takes, more, it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile? And by having a hurting person that's saying, is there anything worth living for? Is there anything worth living for in this day and age? And the hurt and the heartache, that smile that you offer them might just be the very thing that softens that hard heart. I'm asking you to be generous on Thursday and exercise, if you would, this hospitality by first and foremost smiling. Number two, the second thing I'm going to ask you to do by way of practicality is to shake someone's hand. Offer a handshake of greeting. Now, here at Maysville Baptist Church, I'm going to be honest with you, that's a little strange for us. And the reason why it's strange for us is because of this. We're in three services. And so you see somebody on this campus, and you stick your hand out there to shake their hand, and say, hey, I'm, I'm Shane, what's your name? And they tell you your name, 
And you say, well, are you a member here? They said, man, I've been a member here for 15 years. Oh, what service do you go to? I go to the 815 service. Oh, okay. Listen, that's got to be okay. We can't get upset about that. Will you do me this favor? Don't, don't be upset if we're being hospitable to one another. And we come up and we say, hey, I'm Shane. What's your name? And you share your name with me. And I might not remember it. And that, don't be upset with me. Please, I'm begging you. Don't be upset with me. I'll learn it. I'm just a slow learner. And if I'm a slow learner, then may, my, you may be a slow learner too. That means there's hope, better hope for you than there is for me. <laughs> the fact of the matter is just simply this. Don't be afraid to shake somebody's hand. Some people are hurting so bad, they just need that physical contact of a handshake to know that somebody cares for them. And then number three, here's the third practical thing I want to give you. Say hello. Say hello. Say, man, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard a more simple message than this. I know, right? Hey. I know. It's so simple. Just say Hello. How are you doing, sir? How are you doing, ma'am? Welcome with hospitality. On Thursday when we get in there at the Civic Center, knowing that we are there to see one more soul saved, to win one more to see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, win one more to Jesus Christ for, for His glory and for His honor and for His praise, the first tool that we're going to use in order to reach one more is we're going to welcome with hospitality. Will you say that with me? Welcome with hospitality. You can't spell win without I. What does I stand for, Pastor? I stands for initiate an invitation. Initiate an invitation. Jot this passage down. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Revelation 22, 17. In that passage of Scripture, the Bible says this, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Did you know that all throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, all throughout the Word of God, God is always initiating an invitation. He's always initiating an invitation. In Genesis, we see an invitation for two sinners to come to Him. In Exodus, we see an invitation to the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, we see an invitation to our high priest. In Numbers, we see an invitation to follow a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, we see an invitation to follow the prophet that's like Moses. We find in Joshua an invitation to the captain of our salvation. In Judges, we see an invitation to our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, we see an invitation to our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, we see an invitation to the trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings, we see an invitation to the Lord, our king. In First and Second Chronicles, we see an invitation to our reigning king. In Ezra, we see an invitation to our faithful spouse. In Nehemiah, we see an invitation to the builder of walls. In Esther, we see an invitation to our Mordecai. In Job, we see an invitation to our Redeemer. In Psalms, we see an invitation to the Lord who is our shepherd. 
In Proverbs, we see an invitation to our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, we see an invitation to the God of our youth. In the Song of Solomon, we see an invitation to our beloved. In Isaiah, we see an invitation to the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, we see an invitation to the Balm of Gilead. In Lamentations, we see an invitation to the Weeping Prophet. In Ezekiel, we see an invitation to the four-faced man. In Daniel, we see an invitation to the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, we see an invitation to the faithful husband. In Joel, we see an invitation to the forgiver. In Amos, we see an invitation to the burden bearer. In Obadiah, we see an invitation to the one that is mighty to save. In Jonah, we see an invitation to our foreign missionary. In Micah, we see an invitation to the messenger with beautiful feet. Uh, We also find in Nahum an invitation to the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, we see an invitation to God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, we see an invitation to our Savior. In Haggai, we see an invitation to the restorer of the lost heritage. In Zechariah, we see an invitation to the fountain that is opened in the house of David. In Malachi, we see an invitation to the Son of Righteousness with healing in His wings. And then in the New Testament, in Matthew, there's an invitation to the Messiah. In Mark, there's an invitation to the Wonder Worker. In Luke, it's to the Son of Man. In John, it's to the Son of God. In Acts, it's to the foundation of the church. In Romans, it's to our justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, it's the one that's more committed to us than anything else. In Galatians, it's to our Redeemer. In Ephesians, it's to our Christ. In Philippians, it is to the one that supplies all of our needs. In Colossians, it's to the one that is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, it's to our soon coming King. In First and Second Timothy, it's to our mediator that's between God and man. In Titus, it's between it's to the faithful pastor. In Philemon, it is to the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, it is to the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, it's to our great physician. In Peter, it is to, to the chief shepherd. In First, Second, and Third John, it's to love the one that loves us. And as we love each other. In Jude, it's an invitation that the Lord is coming with His 10,000 saints. And in Revelation, it's to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God initiating time and time and time and time again an invitation for us to come to Him. Don't be afraid. Listen, friend. Don't be afraid to invite someone to join you in Sunday school and worship. If there are this many invitations in the Word of God, don't be afraid. You say, well, they may be a member here. We already agreed that we're not going to be upset at that. Go after one more. See the urgency of the hour. Invite somebody to be with you in Sunday school. Invite someone to join you. When we go into Thursday and uh, we're all there, and you're mingling about. Go around and ask, hey, why don't you join me in Sunday school? I want to invite you to be with me in my Sunday school class. And I want you to sit with me in worship. Take full advantage of the tool that God's given us to reach one more for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't spell win without I. Initiate an invitation. And then here's the W, I mean the N. W-I-N. You can't spell win without in. 
The N is negotiate a place to meet. Negotiate a place to meet. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Here's a familiar passage of scripture. We know this story. It's about a man by the name of Zacchaeus. How many of you remember that little song, Zacchaeus? You used to sing it in VBS. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. That's not politically correct today, by the way. But it's hard to sing it. Zacchaeus was a vertically challenged man, and a vertically challenged man was he. It's hard. It's harder that way. I like the old way better. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And then what happened? And then what happened? Y'all good at this. And as he saw the Savior come, he climbed up in a tree. And he said, and God said, the Lord said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Because I'm coming to your house today. Now, I want you to notice. Listen to what the text says. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press... Because he was little of stature. And he ran before him, or ran before, and climbed up in a sycamore tree. And he was there to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. Oh, oh Jesus said, boy, get down here real quick. And come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And I love verse 6. And he made haste. Man, he came down quick. I could just see Zacchaeus skimming down that tree, just shimmying. He came down and he received him joyfully, threw his hands around Jesus' neck. Oh, I'm so glad you called me out of that tree. And when they saw it, who was that? The publicans, the Pharisees, those that were there, they all murmured. Let me just say this. Anytime you reach out to somebody, there's somebody else going to be upset. And they're going to murmur, and they're going to complain, and they're going to be upset. I'm telling you what, I'm so grateful that Jesus reaches the unreachable, and he touches the untouchable, so that they can come to Jesus Christ and the religious fanatics of the day. Let them murmur. Let them murmur on. We're not here getting our name written in the, in the uh, uh, top ten of who's who. We're getting our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Bible says there that that he was gone, they were upset because he's going to be a guest of the sinner. Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore unto him fourfold. And Jesus said, This day salvation has come to this house. For as much as he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. How do you know Zacchaeus got saved? Because he changed. He changed. He said, I see where I've gone wrong. I've repented of that. I know that you're the Messiah, and I'm willing to give back fourfold what, what I've done wrong. I've changed. There's been a change happen in my life. Now, I want you to notice this in this text. In this narrative, Jesus negotiated an invitation. Now, I'll be it now. Uh, uh, it wasn't very hard for Zacchaeus. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus said, okay, that's great. But it was a negotiation. They negotiated on a meeting place. Where were they going to meet? They were going to meet at Zacchaeus' house. 
Dear friend, listen, if you're going to welcome someone with hospitality, if you're going to initiate an invitation, then you've got to negotiate a place to meet. This next hour, I, I have some guests that are coming. I, I've got several guests that are coming, and I've already negotiated a place to meet. We're going to meet in the green room. I need to meet them in the green room. Dear friend, where are you going to meet your guest? Maybe you want to meet them underneath the, the big uh, uh, wall map here on our mission board. Or maybe you want to meet them over here by the coffee pot. Maybe you want to meet them there at the Welcome Center. Maybe you want to meet them at the Refuge. Maybe you want to meet them downstairs underneath the awning. Where are you going to meet your guest? Dear friend, if we're going to exercise the win principle, we've got to negotiate a place to meet. Why? Well, because the greatest place to meet of all is the place where Jesus meets you. You ever thought about where Jesus met you? Man, I'll never forget the day Jesus met me. March 22nd, 1988, as a 14-year-old boy, I was sitting in a service much like this. The pastor, I can't tell you where he preached from. I don't know his text, nor do I know his points. I know I had to take notes on him because I couldn't go to the next grade unless I turned in that blame outline. But I turned it in. I don't remember what it is. The fact of the matter is simply this. I do know on that day there was an invitation that was extended to me and the preacher said that you can meet Jesus right here today. And man, at that invitation, when that invitation was given, I don't know if it was the first verse, David, the second verse, or the third verse. All I know is that the Holy Spirit of God began to deal with me. And the more the Spirit of God dealt with me, the wider my knuckles came on that chair in front of me. Until finally I could not hold on any longer. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I needed Jesus Christ. And I knew that if I died, I was going to go to hell. And so I willingly turned loose of that chair in front of me. And I turned to my peers and I said, I have got to get out. I've got to get out of this place. And I got out of that place. And when I hit the aisle, I had to make a decision. Bless God, was I going to run out the back door or was I going to run to Jesus? And I came to Jesus and there was my principal standing there with his hand stuck out. And I shook his hand and he said, Shane, why are you coming today? I said, Mr. Davis... I don't want to die and go to hell. I know I'm a sinner. I know that if I died today that I'd go to hell. I'd split hell wide open, Mr. Davis. I know Jesus died for me. I know that he rose again on the third day. I know he wants to save my soul. I want to get saved, Mr. Davis. He turned around we knelt down. I can see it in my mind's eye just right now. We knelt down on those steps and he took me down Romans Road. As he took me down Romans Road, he said, Shane, he said, is there anything stopping you from praying to receive Jesus? I said, Mr. Davis, the reason why I came forward is I want to get saved. And right there, as a 14-year-old boy, I confessed my sins. And I believed in my heart that Jesus Christ was who he says he was and who he says he is. He is the Messiah who died in my place on the cross. And on the third day he rose again. And I went down a sinner and I stood up a born again child of God. And I've never been the same since. Dear friend, that's the day I met Jesus. The meeting place where I met him was at the altar. Can I ask you this question? Where did you meet Jesus? You see, the greatest thing about the wind principle is just simply this. The wind principle is all about taking somebody to the greatest winner of all. And that's Jesus Christ. We can win this year. We can win, we can win, we can win, we can win. And the way that we're going to win on Thursday is we are going to welcome with hospitality. 
We're going to initiate an invitation. Will you join me in Sunday school and come to worship with me? You can sit beside me. I've got a place just for me. And we're going to negotiate a place to meet. You meet me at the Welcome Center. I'll be there waiting for you. I can't wait to see you. Dear friend, let me ask you this question. Have you ever met Jesus that way? Have you ever met Jesus that way? Have you ever been offered hospitality? Oh, you're going to get it in this church. Have you ever been in, had an invitation? Will you come and join me? Oh, you're going to get it in this church. Have you ever been asked to meet someone in a specific place? Here's what I'm telling you this morning. This morning, Jesus is asking you to meet him right here today. Today is the day of salvation. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, my time is up. If you're here today and you'd like to be born again, you'd like to be saved, you'd like to meet Jesus, then here's what I want to ask you to do. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around at this time as we examine our hearts. I'm going to ask you to examine your heart. And I want to ask you two questions. First question is this. And please, I'm asking you to personalize this. Answer it in your heart. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus, yes or no? Question number two. Does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? I'm going to ask our altar workers to come forward at this time. If you're here this morning and Jesus does not know you, if Jesus does not know you, I have two altar workers that are here. I'm going to be down front. I want to show you in Scripture how Jesus can know you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to judge you. And I'm not going to condemn you. We're going to show you the truth on how you can know for sure that Jesus knows you. Now, I'm going to move you out of your comfort zone today. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand here in just a minute. Piano's going to be playing. We're going to sing an old hymn called Softly and Tenderly. Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. If you want to be saved today, if you want to know for sure that God knows you, I'm going to ask you to do what I did as a 14-year-old boy. Turn loose of that pew in front of you. Get your hands out of your pockets. Slide out into the aisle. Come and see one of these men so that we can show you how to be saved. Father, this is the message you've laid on my heart. This is the challenge you've placed within my soul. Help us, Lord, to exercise the win principle to see one more come to Jesus. We love you, and we ask it in your name. Amen. Let's all stand. As we stand this morning, I've offered the invitation. You want to connect with God, you come. Let me do this too. I'm going to open the doors of the church. You want to come join our fellowship? I'd love to receive you. Why don't you come today? Now maybe the Lord's been dealing with you. You're not as close to Him as you once were. You're not having your prayer time. You're not in church like you should. You're out of Sunday school. God's dealing with you. Listen, to, I'm just telling you, God wants you to come home. Come home. Why don't you use this time 
Crawl up in the altar today. Come home. Say, I'm coming back home, Jesus. It's not about me. It's about you. Father, in the name of Jesus, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.